We'll hear argument first this morning, number 921402, uh, C.A. Carbone, Inc., versus the town of Clarkstown, New York. Ms. Christian. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. The issue in this case is whether the Commerce Clause prohibits a municipal ordinance that requires all trash, including trash that originated in other towns and other states, to be sent to a designated local facility for processing before it can be shipped to other states for disposal. Petitioners operate a recycling facility in Clarkstown, New York. They receive trash from New Jersey and from points in New York outside of Clarkstown, separated into recyclable and non-recyclable components. Process and bale or package both components and then ship them to users or disposers in other states. The Clarkstown Ordinance permits them to ship the recyclables directly to users in other states. However, it prohibits petitioners from shipping the non-recyclable trash directly to waste-to-energy plants or landfills in other states and requires instead that they be sent to a designated transfer station in Clarkstown, which levies... Christian, uh, what sections of the ordinance are you attacking? Uh, we are primarily attacking Section 5. The uh, respondents have taken the position that this case is governed instead by Section 3. To the extent that Section 3 has any bearing on trash that originated outside of Clarkstown, we are attacking uh, that section as well. But our, our challenge is limited to the trash that originated in towns outside of Clarkstown. Thank you. The, uh, the designated... Why, why don't you have any objection to trash that's, uh, that's generated within Clark? You, you don't have any objection to trash generated within Clark? I think from the standpoint of constitutional analysis, Justice Scalia, uh, it is also invalid uh, under this Court's prior decisions. But as a, a business matter in the lower court... You don't care. The, uh, precisely. The petitioners chose to challenge only the out-of-town trash because that's what their business really consists of. Well, now, Ms. Christian, you started to tell us how the, the uh, ordinance applies. Now, does the city prohibit you from shipping the waste on out, or well, is it a matter of requiring you to pay the charge before you ship it out? The, uh, the city prohibits petitioners from shipping the trash directly to out-of-state users but or after it's sorted and in the city's facility or processed in the city's facility, and if you pay the charge to the city, then can you ship what remains out? Uh, as, as we understand the uh, ordinance, as it has been interpreted by the city, the petitioners are required, after they have processed and bailed the trash, to deliver it to the designated transfer facility. That transfer facility levies the charge of $81 a ton, mm -hmm. and then the transfer facility itself ships the trash to landfills in other states. So the petitioners themselves uh, are required, instead of taking the trash directly to an out-of-state destination, mm -hmm. petitioners are required to take it to the designated facility. The designated facility then performs whatever processing they perform. And the petitioners uh, and are in the business of disposing of waste, and they can do it more cheaply if they don't have to submit it to the town processing. Uh, it is less expensive for the out-of-state customers of petitioners. Uh, and with respect to petitioners, the uh, Clarkstown ordinance 
in effect adds an expense of $81 for every ton of non-recyclable trash. Now, does the town um, impose that if you pick up waste from another from outside the town and simply transport it through the town without any further treatment? Uh, does it apply to that? Uh, it, it apparently does not apply to that, but in fact, petitioners do not do that. Petitioners are in the business of operating a recycling facility. In the town? In the town. Now, the trash itself uh, is brought to petitioners by haulers from other towns or other states. Mm -hmm. Petitioners themselves are not picking up trash in the other towns or states. Uh, it is brought to them by private trucking companies, which bring the trash to petitioners. Petitioners then process and bail the trash and then load it onto the truck. Right. Well, the town treats everyone alike, whether you're inside or outside the town, I think. But the, the, that is correct, but the constitutional flaw is the export ban itself, the local processing requirement. Uh, the lower courts reasoned that there was no discrimination against interstate commerce because it applied the local processing requirement to local as well as out-of-town well, trash. Are there some municipal functions that the municipality can undertake as a monopoly and impose its will on everyone, like sewage disposal or something of that kind? Uh, can a municipality have a monopoly? Well, a municipality certainly, if it wished to take on the job of trash collection itself, could take the trash wherever it wants to take it. And the municipality certainly can impose reasonable health and safety and environmental requirements uh, with respect to the handling of trash. They also have substantial power under the zoning laws to determine uh, whether and to what extent uh, trash facilities will be permitted in the town. Now, in this particular case, the town had initially denied petitioner's request for a permit to operate the recycling facility. That was appealed within the New York State Courts. The courts ruled that the town had acted improperly in denying the permit. Uh, and directed the town to issue the permit. And the permit has now been issued. In, in your view, if the city engaged in the hypothetical function that uh, you were just discussing with Justice O'Connor, so that it owned the trash facility and collected it, could it enforce its monopoly by a criminal sanction? Uh, Be like this, something like the close, approaching the Springfield ordinance? I think we have to draw a distinction between an, uh, a city that merely operates the transfer station itself uh, as a municipal facility and a city that also collects the trash. Assume the latter. Uh, if the city itself collects the trash, uh, then it can take the trash wherever it wants. We don't think that the city uh, could prohibit a petitioner who holds a license uh, to operate a recycling facility from transporting trash outside the state. Uh, what if New York law uh, changed the provision that allowed the petitioner to have a license? And New York law said that uh, individual municipalities can operate monopoly uh, trash disposal or, or organizations. I think the issue there, Mr. Chief Justice, would be uh, whether or not that is an, an appropriate subject for public utility regulation as a monopoly, and that would bring into play a totally different set of requirements. Well, that's not a constitutional that, question. That, that would primarily be a question of, uh, of state law. It conceivably, I would think, might involve some constitutional issues with respect to its effect 
on a facility such as petitioners that previously held a license, but those would be entirely different issues, and that's not this case. Suppose in this case the city had advertised widely for bids for a transfer facility, and it awarded the transfer facility to an out-of-state company at an out-of-state site. So you have roughly this case, except the transfer facility is out-of-state. Would you then have a constitutional uh, argument? I think that you would for this reason, because it would still prohibit the export of trash out of the state to any other point in interstate commerce, to any point other than the designated transfer facility. Would you call that protectionism or simply the state uh, exceeding its appropriate jurisdiction? I I think I would call that uh, protectionism because, at least as in this case, the result is to confer a direct benefit on the town and its residents. In this case, uh, there is clearly a direct benefit to the town. Uh, At the time that the designated facility was constructed, the town entered into a take-or-pay agreement under which it guarantees the transfer facility a certain volume of trash. And if that guarantee is not met, then it has to pay for the lost revenues. So that every ton of -of out-of-town trash that petitioners can be forced to send to the designated facility instead of directly out-of-state results in a uh, reduction of the town's liability under the guarantee of $81 a ton and a direct benefit to the town's residents, a direct burden on interstate commerce. And I would think it would make no difference if the facility happened to be located across the line in another state. Christian, I I don't gather that the Commerce Clause uh, permits a state to favor commerce with one state over commerce with other states. That would be our point exactly. of favoring your own, you also can't say uh, New York favors New Jersey and, and, and we don't favor shipping to other states. You can't do that. I, I believe that uh, this court has struck down reciprocity requirements uh, in the past that were limited in such a way that they are, in effect, prohibiting uh, the export to any states other than the favored states. Christian, did I understand your answer to Justice O'Connor was essentially that the town isn't doing enough to escape from this Commerce Clause check. That is, if they handle the entire trash business, you would have no complaint. But it's only because they don't haul the trash themselves that you can uh, make this argument. Is that? Do I have it right? I, I don't think that's quite correct, Justice Ginsburg. Let, let me uh, see if I can clarify it. Under the market participant doctrine, uh, the town would be entitled uh, to enter into the trash collection business as a participant in the market. And if it did that, it would be permitted, like any private business, to choose who it wanted to deal with. So in that circumstance, it could choose to take all of the trash that it collected to a private facility. Now, if in addition to collecting trash itself, uh, it also permitted the operation of petitioner's recycling facility, which is licensed by both the town and the state to conduct a recycling operation, then we do not believe that the town could compel uh, petitioners to make use of the designated transfer facility. I was only suggesting that if the town wished to take on the function of collecting trash itself, then under the market participant doctrine, uh, it could take the trash that it collected uh, wherever it wants to take it. It can deal with whoever it wants to deal with. We believe that this case is essentially governed by the prior decisions of this court uh, in City of Philadelphia versus New Jersey and in Fort Gratiot Landfill versus Michigan. 
Uh, those cases, of course, struck down laws uh, barring the import of trash into a state. There are basically only two fundamental differences between those cases and this case. The first, of course, is that this involves uh, a restriction on the export of trash. Those cases involve restrictions on import. But the court explicitly pointed out in the city of Philadelphia that the Commerce Clause prohibits the movement of the uh, restrictions on the movement of goods into or out of a state. Because second, there was a discrimination in those cases, too, wasn't there? Uh, there was a different treatment in those cases of local and out-of-town trash. But in this case, and in the, as this case is like the local processing cases, are the export ban decisions previously decided by this court, in which you have a, uh, an overt restriction on the flow of interstate commerce itself. And as to cases in which you so have you're really, a you're basically just making a, I shouldn't say just, you're basically making a burden argument, period. I, I think this is more of a burden on interstate commerce. Uh, yes, that is correct, Justice Souter. And the burden on commerce uh, is created, uh, as this court has held in the local processing decisions, by the requirement that it undergo local processing at the designated transfer facility before it can go out of state. Okay, you, you don't, don't think this is a discrimination case then, huh? Is that what you're saying? You, you don't? Uh, I, I think it may be hard to draw the line between discrimination against and burden on interstate commerce. Certainly, uh, it is a burden on and... I know it, I, you've said it's a burden. You, do you think it's discrimination against interstate commerce? I think it's uh, probably a, discrimin a discrimination against petitioners out-of-state customers who are required to undergo additional processing after their trash has already been processed and bailed uh, at the designated facility. But, but the principal focus uh, of the attack has been on the burden that this uh, statute creates on the free flow of interstate commerce. Well, why isn't uh, it a discrimination against I, exporters? Yeah. Uh, I think it is a discrimination against exporters. I think the, the only sense in which uh, you could say it is not a discrimination, is that it discriminates against the export of trash by both local and uh, out-of-town uh, trash. But we would suggest that it discriminates against the uh, exporters of trash and also is a burden on interstate commerce. Under either test, we believe it's invalid. We think it falls within the category of uh, laws that overtly block the flow of interstate commerce and therefore are virtually per se invalid. Uh, you, you said a second ago, as a factual matter, something that I just didn't understand. You said that the, um, the well, I may have you wrong. You said that uh, those who export trash out of state uh, must, uh, must uh, subject the trash to a further processing. Was that what you said? That's correct, Justice Sue. Well, I don't and understand that as a matter of fact. What, what does that consist of? Uh, petitioners themselves process and bale the trash that is brought to them from outside the town. And when it's loaded onto trucks to leave petitioner's facility, it is then ready for transportation to landfills or to waste to energy plants. Nothing further is needed. And yet under the statute, it is required to go to the designated transfer facility for additional processing at the transfer facility. Okay, but the, the fact that your clients do bale their residue is not a requirement of the town ordinance. In other words, as I understand it, after they separate the recyclables that they take out from, from what is then going to be ultimately baled and exported, they could just bring that in, in bulk to the town transfer station and it would be processed and baled there, wouldn't it? Uh, wouldn't it? I, I think two points. First of all, as a practical matter, 
uh, you're talking about 150 tons of trash a week. The way that the processing is handled, when it comes off the conveyor belt, after the recyclables have been separated out, it goes into the processing machines where the processing and the bailing occurs. So as a practical matter... But isn't matter, that simply a, a function of the way your clients have set up their plant? Couldn't they set it up in such a way that they take out the recyclables uh, and what is left gets dumped into a truck and the truck goes to the town transfer station where it's bailed? Couldn't, couldn't that happen? Uh, I'm not sure that that would be consistent with the permit under which they operate uh, by New York State or by the town itself. Uh, under the permit, for example, uh, the handling of trash is strictly regulated. One requirement, for example, is that all non-recyclable trash that goes through petitioner's facility must be moved out within 24 hours. So you can't have trash piling up, mm -hmm. waiting to be picked up. In any case, I, I take it your, your case does not depend on, uh, on really on the answer no, to my question. No, it, it does not because uh, even if, under, the, under this court's local processing decisions, uh, even if there were no local, a, a, a duplicate processing involved, it would still be an overt restriction on the flow of interstate commerce. And you under that... A point about the tipping charge, I think is what you called it? Yes. That there was a considerable differential between... Uh, what the tipping fee charged by petitioners is $70 a ton, that charged by the trans, uh, designated facility is $81 a ton. And this, of course, to petitioners amounts to an added expense that they are required to bear uh, with respect to the portion of their trash uh, that constitutes non-recyclables. Uh, that's an expense that would have to be added on and one which they uh, could not bear. As a matter of fact, after the injunction in this case went into effect, petitioners were forced to temporarily shut down their operations. Is there an explanation of the extra 11 cents? Is it because eventually this plant will belong to the city? And so that the there, there is no explanation other than the fact that the town uh, approved the fee of $81 a ton. Uh, the town was required to approve the fee uh, being charged by the designated facility. Uh, the petitioners set their own fee. Uh, that is the only explanation. May I ask, be sure I'm, I'm clear on one question. Do I correctly understand you do not challenge the scheme insofar as it gives uh, uh, the town a total monopoly of the processing and distribution of trash generated within the town? Uh, in the lower courts, petitioners limited their Commerce Clause challenge to trash that originated outside the town. So that as is a correct. practical matter, what you're really complaining about is in order to stay in business, you'd have to move outside the city limits. Because then the ordinance wouldn't hurt you at all if you were outside the city limits. Would it? If, if we were not in Clarkstown, then the ordinance would not apply because it only applies within the confines of Clarkstown. It still would have an impact on you because you couldn't get any locally generated uh, trash. But you don't object to that. We did not raise a Commerce Clause challenge. Quite candidly, we believe that as a matter of constitutional analysis, the ordinance also violates the Commerce Clause with respect to locally generated trash. But... That's not an issue. That is not an issue in this the case. The only thing that's correct. at issue is whether you can be compelled to move outside the city limits to continue receiving trash, trash from other locations. That's really what, I suppose, that's what, and if you're going to stay in business, you just have to move your plant. Uh, we are licensed by the town to operate the recycling facility in Clarkson. Yeah, your license that's doesn't do any good if you can't get any trash. Uh, under you this could get the trash if you, if you were located outside the... Outside. We, we could... We could get the trash if we uh, were willing to move our facility, but we submit that that is not uh, an excuse to a violation of the Commerce Clause. That would be a major burden on petitioners. 
uh, since you cannot simply move a trash facility. Is this the only uh, facility that they operate? I believe this is the only facility that the Carbone uh, company itself operates. Uh, there are some related companies uh, located in other states, but uh, CNA Carbone, Inc., uh, I believe, operates only the one facility. Our basic point is that this is an overt discrimination against interstate commerce that could be justified only if the town could show that it is justified by a valid factor unrelated to economic protectionism and that that factor can't adequately serve, be served by non-discriminatory means. We believe that the uh, out-of-town origin of the trash essentially eliminates most of the justifications that the town has sought to offer. As far as health and safety or environmental justifications are concerned, uh, petitioners are subject to exactly the same requirements as the designated facility, and the town can certainly add more stringent requirements if it thinks that's necessary. Uh, there is no danger that this uh, facility will be shut down uh, in the absence of the flow control ordinance. The only danger is uh, that the town might have to make good under its guarantee, and that is, by definition, economic protectionism. Uh, One amicus brief has suggested that Congress, in other legislation, has basically directed this kind of a flow control ordinance. We think that's clearly not correct, Justice O'Connor. The only uh, uh, reliance, uh, the only uh, citations that have been made have been to provisions of the uh, LICRA statute, mm -hmm. which refer not to flow control laws, but to long-term contracts. Uh, that they're not the same thing. As a matter of fact, we've suggested that one of the non-discriminatory alternatives uh, that might be pursued is long-term contracts. Now, as a matter of fact, uh, Congress has pending before it right now several bills uh, that would authorize flow control laws in specific limited circumstances. The only action taken thus far has been to ask the Environmental Protection Agency to supply Congress with its views by September of 1994. Uh, but clearly, nothing that Congress has done to date uh, satisfies the very stringent test for a clear expression of the intent of Congress to authorize action that would otherwise violate the It Congress. is true that, the, you know, I think it's the House Committee report on that statute, they did specifically refer to this sort of restriction. I know the sta Texas statute itself doesn't, but uh, one of the briefs quotes a portion of the House report that does. Uh, they referred to these statutes. There was testimony that referred to these, but there is nothing in the statute itself That's right. uh, that refers to flow control laws. And Cong this court has made it clear that in order for Congress in order for a statute to be interpreted as authorizing action that would otherwise violate the Commerce Clause, there must be a clear expression of intent, and this falls far short of that. We don't think that you need to reach the issue of non-discriminatory alternatives at all, because there is nothing here uh, other than economic protectionism. Uh, but simply to complete our point, it is apparent that even if uh, there were some valid non-protectionist purpose, those purposes could be met adequately by means that do not impose a burden on interstate commerce. Uh, to begin with, uh, there is the simple expediency of the transfer station, the designated facility, competing in the marketplace for trash. And in this connection, I think it's important to observe that in the absence of flow control laws, there's no apparent reason why the designated facility would not be able to compete successfully from trash in neighboring towns and states. The amicus brief of the state of New Jersey, for example, reveals that the tipping fees in New Jersey are substantially higher than the $81 charged by the designated facility. The reason that they are not uh, 
able to compete for those now is that under New Jersey law, which also has a flow control law, trash is permitted to leave New Jersey for purposes of recycling, of separating into recyclable and non-recyclable components, but only on condition that the non-recyclables are brought back to New Jersey. Now, petitioners, of course, are placed in the position by this statute uh, of being literally unable to comply with the flow control laws of both New Jersey and Clarkstown, because Clarkstown directs that this identical trash must go to the designated transfer. Why didn't you challenge the New Jersey flow control laws? I, I think that might be that the next, next case. That, that may be the next case, Justice Scalia. I must say the spectacle of uh, all states and municipalities uh, uh, wrestling for control over garbage is, is really quite wonderful. Uh, I think that this simply reflects the changed economics of trash disposal, Justice Scalia. If the Court has no further questions, I'd like to reserve my remaining time for rebuttal. Very well, Ms. Christian. Uh, Mr. Bashir. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. I think the, uh, the central concept of economic protectionism means the allocation of economic benefits among private parties engaged in commerce on the basis of political geography. I think the essence of economic protectionism is discrimination. It means that those who are protected, those who vote within the political process, receive benefits. Those who are outside the political process who do not vote do not receive benefits. I would like to I make that statement because I think that concept reconciles certainly the Philadelphia chemical waste, Fort Grayshot. It reconciles the processing cases. It reconciles the so-called hoarding cases. It has to do with the discrimination between the haves, the represented, and the have-nots. And that principle applied in this case answers two questions. First of all, since there is no discrimination, we are outside of the universe of economic protectionism. Mr. Brashears, uh, I don't understand what you're saying. If, 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 if one has a, uh, a generous and, and non-greedy uh, non motive, uh, it's okay to discriminate against the interstate commerce? I mean, if, if I am not getting anything personally out of... Uh, out of discriminating against interstate commerce, it is not protectionist and therefore it's okay. Well, Your Honor, I think this is what the Maine against Taylor case is probably all about. I think there is certainly a very strong presumption that when a state or local law discriminates on the basis of geography that there is a protectionist purpose. I think what the court has said is that that is rebuttable if you can show that there is not, there is in fact a rational basis for the discrimination. I think in Maine against Taylor what the court in effect did was to say yes there is a rational basis here. Uh, but I think the, uh, the absence of benefit uh, does not necessarily uh, make the, 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 the discrimination condoned. Well, there, it has to be reasonable. It, it, it hasn't to be. It, the point is not that it's not protectionist, but that it is reasonable, right? Well, I, mean, I, I don't know that our Commerce uh, Clause law says that the only invalid restrictions upon interstate commerce are those that are imposed for protectionist purposes. Well, Your Honor, I think, I think I am putting together, and I think appropriately so, protectionism and discrimination on a geographic basis. What I'm saying is that it is almost impossible and thinkable to find a state or local law which allocates 
or regulates on the basis of geography those who are within the political process being treated one way and those outside another way without there being some element of protectionism. I would grant that there could be cases where discrimination did not have those benefits, but I think, or allocation, but I think here, if I can get to this case, uh, first of all, we do not have a law which has a discrimination. We do not have a law which classifies on the basis of geography, on the basis of whether you're in or outside of the political process. The law here, which council has referred to as an export ban, uh, well, I suppose every law which regulates locally and has the effect of preventing a product from going out of the jurisdiction in the same sense as an export ban. And in that same sense, export bans have never been held as such to be unconstitutional. And that's why this case is not the flip side, as counsel has put it, of the New Jersey case. The key there is discrimination. Is, is a product kept out because it is from outside? Is it kept in because it's from inside? And is it kept in, in the case of the processing and hoarding and other cases, for the benefit of local interest? I'd like to turn to the question, if I could answer the question that Justice O'Connor asked the counsel, about is this city, is this town, essentially capturing, that word has been used in the papers of the petitioners, is this town attempting to capture waste that is moving in interstate commerce? Well, to suggest that there is a capturing uh, conveys the idea that there is a truck moving through town and the town is reaching out for its, its greedy purposes, capturing the truck and uh, making them pay a fee to pass through. That is not at all what's going on. I need to remind, uh, I need to state that the petitioners in this case have a permit to operate under New York law as a recycling center. They have a permit which states that 90% of the material they bring to their facility will be recyclable. In fact, in their permit application, they say they're going to recycle cardboard. That means there would be 10% of that total material which would be discarded, worthless uh, garbage, as we put it. Now, they bring that material into their facility in Clarkstown as the... Uh, uh, Mr. Car Car Carbone specifically testified they put it on their floor, they separate it out into the recyclables, which as we know they are permitted to sell and to ship in interstate commerce, and into the residue. And the issue in this case is that residue. Mr. Carbone also acknowledged in, in an affidavit in lower court that that material and the local material is all fungible. And he said, in fact, when he was concerned that the local town might have been mixing the out-of-town waste with the local waste, he said once it's commingled, you can't tell which is which. Now what the town is saying to Mr. Carbone and to everyone else in the town, no matter what kind of business they operate, the town is saying if you have garbage that is generated, meaning discarded in our town, this is the way it needs to be handled. We believe it's in the interest of this community, we've made the legislative judgment, that this is the way it should be handled just as the city of San Francisco and the city of Detroit did in 1905. All of these are legislative judgments. I mean, what you're saying is, not for health reasons, there, there's no health reason why it has to be taken to this particular plant, is there? No, there certainly is, Your Honor. Well, somebody says, I want to take it to, to another plant. It's cheaper, it's out of state, and you say, no, you can't do that. You must take it to this plant. Well, uh, why just, is that not a discrimination against, uh, against interstate commerce? Well, Justice Scalia, first of all, there is no classification which in any way separates interstate commerce from local commerce. As I said... The material which is regulated... Dean, Dean Milk establishes that that makes no difference. Just because you discriminate against other intrastate facilities does not enable you to discriminate against out-of-state facilities. Yeah, but, you know, there's, well. no, there's no city line or county line discrimination involved here. There is no reference to needing to deal locally with local facilities except 
the city. And there is the classification in this case which brings into discussion the question of monopolization. In, as I was going to say, the, uh, the state of California, in the, the case of California reduction, which this court decided in 1905, right at the beginning of the Lochner era and the Gardner case, considered exactly this situation. Uh, the court considered whether there was a, not a rational basis, they went into a much more searching inquiry, and determined that the, the city had a legitimate, indeed a pressing interest in regulating in the area of, of waste disposal, that the method they had chosen was appropriate uh, in that they had set up a designated facility, they had franchised it, indeed in, in San Francisco it was for 50 years. If it wasn't that just dealing with locally generated waste? Well, uh, Justice Stevens, the, uh, the record in that case uh, does not show that any waste uh, was coming in from anywhere or was going out to anywhere. Uh, interestingly, the, the district court in, the, uh, in that case did note that these were articles of commerce because they were uh, uh, claimed to be of value. This was material which was going out to, uh, to feed livestock. All I can suggest is if it doesn't tell us whether there was any non-locally generated waste involved, the case really doesn't address the precise issue that your opponent is raising here. Well, Your Honor, I think, I think it does address it in this sense. Uh, if we don't have... Uh, economic protectionism, if we don't have a discrimination, which I think I would submit we do not have here, but still, but still the petitioners claim that the use of this power by the city is, is wrong under the Constitution. I think that analysis is really not a Commerce Clause analysis. And let me maybe make this point in connection with California reduction. If you took California reduction uh, on its 14th Amendment uh, uh, grounds, and just as the court was about to decide that case, the uh, petitioners or the plaintiffs in that case came in and said, we wish to amend. We have just discovered that garbage is moving across into Nevada to a farm. And I, I, I make that hypothetical only to suggest how would that change the analysis. The fact that waste is moving out of the state of California would not change the 14th Amendment analysis. Well, isn't the point that it's moving out, that it's coming from uh, a location that's not within the jurisdiction of the community? That's the, that's the thing, the most troublesome point to me is the fact, let me give you a little a hypothetical I keep thinking about. Supposing there's another processing plant right outside of town that will pay a tipping fee of $75. And so the, they've got three choices, $81 to your facility, 71 if these people stay in business, or 75 outside. Now, if your ordinance is in effect and you drive these people out of business, the, the, the business will shift from a $71 figure to a $75 figure. And doesn't that burden commerce? It well, will make the outside people pay more than they otherwise would pay. Your Honor, I, no, I don't think, it, I don't, well, whether it's a, a burden, certainly everything that raises the cost of parties operating in commerce is arguably a burden. Whether it is a burden that this Court would take into account and, and balance it uh, in, in the pike it jargon. It be justified by your need to control and dispose, have a total monopoly of all locally generated. No, absolutely, Your Honor. I believe it can be justified by the, 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 the town's need. Now, Your Honor, I have, I have failed to, uh, for lack of time and priorities here, to get into the point of why this overall legal framework of the cities uh, has an environmental purpose. Now, I, we have, of course, spelled it out at great length in our brief. You have 15 amicus briefs here which get into it in great detail, but the point is that as a matter of state law, this facility resulted from the fact that this town operated a landfill for many years. It was forced to close it down, and as part of that remedial action, it was required to set up this transfer station in order to continue to, to have responsibility for local 
a waste service. We'll, we'll agree with you that you had to close down the landfill for environmental purposes, but it doesn't follow that you have an environmental purpose for this restriction if you can accomplish the same purpose by, by health and safety regulations. And I thought you said a moment ago that you could. Well, Justice Souter, I would submit uh, that those are relevant questions to raise in the context of whether there's a rational basis for the regulation. And I submit uh, that they would be raised in the context of whether this town is actually constitutionally permitted to regulate in this manner. But I think that is a due pro substantive due process issue. I don't think it's a Commerce Clause issue. Well, it's not a Commerce Clause issue unless you've got a, a justification for your burden, and this is your only justification. You're, you're, you're in exactly the same boat. Well, you've got to justify your burden, even though it's a non-discriminatory burden. Well, Your Honor, if it is a, if it is a regulation which has passed muster under the, under the 14th Amendment, if it is deemed to have a rational basis, uh, and the question then is, does it nevertheless... Uh, violate the Commerce Clause because of a burden that it imposes. Uh, I think when you get into weighing that burden against the legitimate purposes of the law, we're going back and re-evaluating under the, under sure. the right, rational every, basis. Every burden that passes due process muster because there is some rational basis is not necessarily uh, going to pass uh, a, a rational basis test for discrimination, is it? I agree. I agree. And I thought, I, thought, I thought you were assuming just the opposite. No, not, not or no. I agree completely with your statement. I think the, the next, the Commerce Clause brings to the table the discrimination analysis, a, a, a law which is otherwise passing muster under the 14th Amendment as rationally based. We then move to the Commerce Clause, and then we then consider whether it is discriminatory, because then we have the aspect of regulating the unprotected interests uh, which is the essence of economic protectionism. We have the unprotected interests, and they are not participating in the political process that produced that regulation, and therefore they should not be bound by the substantive due process determination that the court has made in that case. But when the same parties who are protected then claim the burden, which is this case, of course, Carbone is, of course, a local Clarkstown interest who is within the protected interest, then uh, there's no basis uh, for the claim uh, that we should now go back and reevaluate the burden on commerce in comparison to the local benefits. I don't understand. You say because Carbone is in Clarksburg itself, you, this this restriction can be imposed on Carbone. Does, does that mean you you can well, Your Honor, in prohibit terms of your your local citizens since they're part of the voting group? You can prohibit them from dealing in interstate commerce because I don't understand. No, that. no, Your Honor, I'm not saying that you can prohibit them. What I'm saying is, though, if you are looking at the benefits and burdens of the law, you are not concerned about the burdens on the local people uh, as much as you are. In the discrimination analysis, Why not? you're concerned I, about the difference. That's what you're saying, that, that you can prevent local people from dealing in interstate commerce. I don't know. No, Your Honor. No, Your Honor. I, I'm not suggesting you can prevent local people from dealing in interstate commerce because, I mean, the question would be how, what kind of law would you pass to prevent local people from dealing in interstate commerce. It would have to be some kind of a discriminatory law that says uh, these people can engage in commerce and these people can't. What well, the Clark every, every local person has to buy at the Clarksburg shopping mall. All local people have to take their trade there. They can't, they can't go uh, elsewhere. Does that violate the Commerce Clause? It certainly does. And, and I fail to see why it makes much of a difference if you say all local people 
have to get their trash processed at this particular uh, Your Honor, processing plant. If, if I may, I think, I think the hypothetical of all people must buy at the local supermarket, I think that would never get to the Commerce Clause. That would fall under the, under the 14th Amendment. I think the question of requiring, requiring local processing, uh, see, that is what exactly, that, that is the label that the petitioners have attempted to put on this case, and it just doesn't fit. The question is, local processing is where a law states uh, that before, as in the shrimp cases, the, uh, the foster fountain case, uh, before a product may leave this jurisdiction, it must be processed by local processors. The, the sorting is on the basis of local processors versus non-local processors. That's not what this law does. This law says the city is on one hand and all other participants are on the other hand, and this law says that this will be done by the, by the city because we have legitimate police power reasons to do so. So and one of the, I, I think one of our problems is we're, we're still not sure what those police power reasons are, and I think you deflected the question by saying, well, that's really a 14th Amendment question. But no, no, Your Honor, I, I'm it, sorry. I mean, we, we assume, we'll, we'll all accept that the city gets an economic benefit. What are the other police power reasons that could not uh, have, have been realized by health and safety regs? Your Honor, one of the reasons is the ability to monitor the, monitor the waste. In this town, under state law, there is a very elaborate requirement for recycling. There is mandatory local recycling. The, the town needs to have an ability to monitor whether the recycling is actually being done. There are concerns about traffic as to how many... Well, does New York require the, this town to monitor recycling in other New York facilities? Uh, Your Honor, it, it requires the town to have recycling laws, and it, uh, I don't believe it mandates a particular... It certainly doesn't mandate doesn't a man control. It doesn't mandate the town to go out and inspect other facilities uh, other than its own, does it? Uh, I'm sorry, does it mandate... The, the, this uh, ordinance, uh, or New York law, does not require Clarkstown to monitor what happens to its trash in facilities that are outside of its jurisdiction, does it? Well, the, the permit granted by the state to the Clarkstown Transfer Station requires it to uh, make certain that the uh, facilities to which the waste goes from the transfer station are properly permitted uh, uh, appropriate facilities. In that sense... Yes, but that can, that can be handled by other facilities, so you don't need a local facility to accomplish the end that you're, uh, that you're addressing. Well, Your Honor, the, the basic issue of is there an environmental justification for a city controlled, a city-monopolized transfer station. Uh, again, I don't think, I think if that judgment is made under the 14th Amendment that there is a rational basis for the city to use that method to advance a legitimate interest in the environment, the local environment, then I, I don't believe we go back and reevaluate that under the Commerce Clause, but nevertheless, I don't mean to avoid that with, with uh, legal argument and not talk about why there should be this program. It's the same reason for the program in San Francisco in 1905 and Detroit in 1905. It's the same reason that cities since, uh, I think it's uh, 1658 in this country, in New Amsterdam, uh, they had flow control laws. They wanted to make sure all the waste was taken care of in a particular way. It's the entire idea of control. If we control it, if we know where it's coming from, where it's going, if we have the ability to, to actually uh, uh, monopolize and have responsibility, then we will know that the waste is being taken care of. Well, but our, our civilization has advanced to the point where garbage is valuable. Your Honor, uh, <laughs> that, that is a major point that the petitioners make, but it's wrong. 
Some garbage is valuable if it's the part of the garbage that can be pulled out and sold for recycling. But make no mistake about it, the waste that is left over after the, re the, the valuables are removed as they are allowed to be removed and shipped out anywhere under the Clarkstown Ordinance, that garbage is worth less today than it's ever been worth because the cost of getting rid of it is higher than it's ever well, been. Do you rest your argument in part then on the notion that what is left and what is at issue here has no value and is not an article of commerce? Well, uh, Justice O'Connor, I don't rest on that because I think that the, the economic protectionism analysis that I've been through um, I think suffices for an affirmance of this case. But I, I do think that those points need to be considered about whether it is an article of commerce. What I have suggested in the brief is that there are three doctrines which converge on that. The doctrine of basically is it in commerce when the local jurisdiction essentially has a separate transaction between the place where it's discarded and the place where it is, comes to the transfer station. The second, I think the quarantine cases have application here because the idea of the quarantine cases, and it's a non-discriminatory quarantine, is basically to say this is something we consider dangerous uh, to the local community. Certainly garbage is dangerous if it's not properly attended to, and therefore we are going to take it out of the process of commerce. And the third is from the Sporhase case, the argument that the court has recognized, as it did in that case, that, that it will take into consideration what private rights the state has given to engage in a particular business, such as the removal of groundwater. For those reasons, I, I do urge the court to consider whether one approach to this case is to consider that the effect of the cities monopolizing this business, taking over in effect, requiring the waste to be treated in this way, is in effect removing it or withholding it, if you would, Can from you commerce. Me with one factual matter, I want to be sure I understand it correctly. Is it correct that there would be no violation of the ordinance if the petitioner separated out the recyclable garbage and shipped that out of state and made money out of that, so long as it took the non-recyclable and shipped it over to your facility and paid $81 a ton for that portion of it? That's correct. And they say there's some practical reason why they can't do it, some 24-hour limit and so forth. Is it, is it practically feasible for them to do it, just, just pay a little more for that portion of the business? It, Your Honor, there's nothing in the record which suggests it's not practically feasible. Indeed. And, and as far as uh, you're concerned, representing the town, that would be perfectly lawful if they were willing to do it. Yes, yes. And, and then do you draw the conclusion for that for that reason, after the garbage is separated, you are entitled to look at the non-recyclable residue as locally generated because it was generated within the town. That's right. That's your theory. That's right. Well, well, let me give an example of that. Uh, under the Clarkstown law and under New York law, every business and every resident is now required to recycle. The city provides each resident, each business with bins in which they will put the different recyclables. Uh, and this is mandated. Uh, the city operates composting facilities. This is all part of the overall environmental plan that's involved here. It's not just a matter of a transfer station. The city picks up white goods, discarded refrigerators, and so forth and so on. And the point is that each business, if you could imagine an alley with three entrances and three cans, you know, one's a supermarket, one's a, uh, a, a clothing store, another is Carbone's Recycling Center. And each one of them is required to recycle, and each one of them is required to put out the residues. And the city law says that when that happens, those residues will be handled in a particular way that we have determined to be environmentally appropriate. And that way is that it will be brought to a designated transfer station and that it will then be, be uh, disposed of as we have arranged it. It is 
no difference. In fact, if the court were to say that the town needs to differentiate this waste based upon the fact that it originated out of the town of Clarkstown, the court would in effect be doing, uh, requiring the city to do what it has struck down time and time again, as in Philadelphia. The court would be requiring the town to impose a geographic classification. It would be a complete reversal of roles, even though it would be completely arbitrary and irrational. There's no difference. As Carbone himself said, it's fungible, it's commingled, and yet if the, if the argument were to, to be sustained that the town has to treat this waste differently, this would be, in effect, imposing a geographic classification. Why is this case any different from Dean Milken? It's just Dean Milken reverse, it seems to me. Uh, suppose that uh, the town in Dean Milk had said that all milk sold in the city for health reasons has to be pasteurized, just as you're saying, for health reasons, uh, this trash has to be disposed of. And it will all be pasteurized in a city-owned or city-contracted-for plant uh, uh, just outside the city. Well, Your Honor, I think if... Uh, would that be allowed? If the law, I, believe, I believe if the law said that the town has contracted for a plant... To pasteurize. To milk. pasteurize. And if there is some rational basis for that action to carry out some legitimate public purpose, then... There, I, there is. Pasteurization certainly has a legitimate uh, public purpose, right? Absolutely. And the city says, we can be sure that the pasteurization is being done properly if it's being done in this plant, which we will supervise. That's right. So you think that that's the only problem there was with Dean Milk? That well, Your Honor, I think the, the problem with Dean Milk... to be pasteurized in its own plant. No, Your Honor, I think the problem with Dean Milk was that there was a sorting of private interests based upon the proximity to the, uh, to the city. In other words, that there was, in fact... Uh, those who were within that protected area were able to do this business, those private economic interests. Those who were outside of that area were not permitted to do that business. So we had the model of economic protectionism. Now, the question in Dean Milk was, was there some legitimate basis for that discrimination? And the answer was no. There was, uh, so I don't think that's the same case. Well, they, 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 they used the same kind of legitimate basis that you're trying to use. They, they, they said health interests. And we said, well, there are a lot of other ways to preserve those health interests without requiring that the milk be pasteurized within five miles of the city. And we said, you, you, you have to, rather than discriminate against interstate commerce this way, use those other means. Your Honor, if the Clarkstown law specified that all garbage had to be processed within five miles of Clarkstown, it would be unconstitutional. Mr. Bashir, before you, your red light goes on, I wanted to be clear that... In bringing up what Justice O'Connor asked uh, your opponent. You are not relying, as some of your amici have been, on congressional permission? No, Your Honor. I think there is a, uh, there's an argument there. I think to meet the uh, unmistakably clear standard is difficult. I think it's a much less compelling argument than, than the other arguments in this case. I would like to close, if I may, uh, refer the Court to a uh, case which we cited in our brief uh, opinion by uh, Judge Stapleton of the Third Circuit, uh, which, and if I don't finish this by the red light, I'd invite the court to finish. In the ab quote, in the absolute sense, virtually all state regulation burdens interstate commerce, where the burden on out-of-state interests is no different from that placed on competing in-state interests. However, it is a burden on commerce rather than a burden on interstate commerce. In such cases, nothing in Commerce Clause jurisprudence entitles out-of-state interests to more strict judicial review than that to which the in-state interests are entitled, i.e., arbitrary and capricious review under the Due Process Clause and rational basis review under the Equal Protection Clause. 
neither of which involves the kind of social value balancing that Norfolk Southern urges us to undertake. And last, I'd like to urge... Well, what was, the, what was that quotation from? I'm sorry, Your Honor. That was from Norfolk Southern against Oberly, which uh, is uh, 822 Fed 2nd, uh, page 388. The quote is on page 406. I apologize. It's referred to in our brief. And last, we did not cite, and I would like to urge the court to consider in this case the Briard against City of Alexandria case in terms of the effect of a local uh, regulation uh, on an interstate business. There, the court set, recognized exactly as I urge it should recognize here that the fact that an interstate business is involved does not remove the fact that the local activity that is being regulated is indistinguishable from the local uh, activity of the same kind. Uh, in that case, the court recognized that, uh, that it made no difference whether the uh, solicitor coming to the door was local or was from interstate commerce. The fact was that the evil or the uh, situation that the local legislation was attempting to deal with and which a court felt was rationally based under the uh, 14th Amendment, uh, that was the exact same problem presented by the uh, local solicitor and the out-of-state solicitor, and the state and the local community had no obligation to differentiate on the basis of its regulation. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Brashears. Uh, Mrs. Christian, you have four minutes remaining. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Uh, respondents, in response to a question, have, uh, I believe, admitted that this law would be invalid if it required that trash must be processed within five miles uh, of the city limits of Clarkstown. It seems to me that is dispositive of this case. There is no difference from a constitutional standpoint, from a commerce clause standpoint, between such a requirement and the requirement that we have in this case, which requires that it must be uh, processed at the designated transfer station. Now, beyond this... Uh, the of that transfer station is, is within five miles of Clarkstown? It is within Clarkstown. But may I, I, I believe there was a, a question to uh, respondents if it would be valid if, it, uh, if the law required processing within five miles of Clarkstown. I think this falls within that, uh, that description. But is, is it correct that, there, that the processing itself is, violates the ordinance? I thought it was what you do with the residue after the processing that creates the problem. It is not what... It is not the processing... You don't None. violate the ordinance just by processing it, so long no. as you ship the residue over to their facility and pay them $81 a ton as a tip. That's right, and pay them $81 a ton so for further processing. You're not objecting to any restriction on processing. No, we are objecting to the restriction that requires what they require, regard as local processing at the designated transfer facility, for which they charge the $81 a ton. And that's, uh, it that's is, the disposal of the, of the residue. We don't know what they would do when they receive it. It is the processing and the disposal of the residue. Now, respondents have taken the position. Am I correct that the $81 a ton doesn't have any impact at all on the portion of your business that deals with recyclable garbage? The ordinance itself permits the recyclables to be shipped directly outside of the So you can continue to do that as long as you pay the $81 on the residue? That is correct. As long as we Why ship... Why is residue locally generated waste if it is produced by the recycling that takes place within the community? For one specific reason, we do not discard the, revenue, the residue. Petitioner's business consists of the handling of trash. After they separate out the recyclables, petitioners themselves process and bale the trash and themselves ship it to landfills or waste-to-energy plants, uh, which they pay to accept disposal 
uh, of the non-recyclables. So the fundamental difference is that petitioners never discard anything. They're in the business of handling the trash. Now, we believe that this statute, as a matter of constitutional jurisprudence, would be unconstitutional even with respect to locally discarded trash. But the fact is, petitioners never discard trash at all. They handle it, they dispose of it out of state. Well, uh, you, you yes, say the ordinance uh, applies only to trash discarded in the city. No, that is not our position. The trash plainly has been interpreted to apply to the non-recyclable residue of petitioners' operation, which they do not discard in the city. Respondents have supplies to discarded trash, and you say we don't discard. Is that what your is that your point? Not quite, Justice O'Connor. We do not discard trash, but the ordinance, nevertheless, has been interpreted by the New York State courts as applying to our operation. Uh, a major distinction between trash handled by petitioners and the local trash to which respondents sought to draw an analogy, is that we do not discard it. Uh, a, a correction of one factual point, respondents also said that uh, under the permit, uh, petitioners are limited to handling trash that is no more than 10% non-recyclable. Uh, there is no such limit. Thank you, Mrs. Christian. Thank you. The case is submitted.